Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, welcome to the Dynamic Duel Podcast, a weekly show where we review superhero films and debate the superiority between Marvel and DC by comparing their characters in stat-based battle simulations. I'm Johnny DC. And I'm his twin brother, Marvelous Joe. Full disclosure, I'm sick. I'm really sick. You're always sick. Um, I'm recovering from a cold. Almost there, not all the way out. This last week has been fucking hell. <laughs> I passed a kidney stone yesterday. I would not wish that upon anyone. If there is a hell, it is passing kidney stones. Super painful. Yeah, between the cold and the kidney stone, I didn't think we were going to be able to do this episode. Yeah, this was going to be like the first episode we ever missed in five years. But we're like the post office. You know, come rain, come snow or sleet or calcium phosphate. We will be debating who's better between Marvel and DC. As we'll be doing in this episode when we pit Firestorm against Cersei. Firestorm is one of my all-time favorite characters from when I was younger. Like, whenever anyone asked me, like, what superhero I wanted to be, it was either Kyle Rayner's Green Lantern or Firestorm. Yeah, he's a big deal. He's probably the biggest DC character that we have yet to do a duel with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Cersei is up there, too. Well, not currently, but she will be when the Eternals movie comes out later on this year. Gemma Chan is playing the character of Cersei, and Kevin Feige has said that she's the main protagonist of that movie. So those who don't know who Cersei is yet, you will soon. So we'll get to that later on in the episode. Before that, we're going to break down the comic book movie news from the past week, including the new Hawkeye trailer for the miniseries that's going to be on Disney+. And we're going to talk about the miniseries that HBO Max is going to do for The Penguin. As always, we list our segment times in our episode description, so feel free to check out the show notes if you want to skip ahead to a particular topic. Now, if you're not subscribed to this show, uh, you only have access to the most recent four episodes that we have put out. And if you want access to over 200 episodes of archived content, including Aquaman vs. Submariner, our Lego Batman review, Darkseid vs. Thanos, our Captain Marvel review, Brainiac vs. Ultron, or the Suicide Squad review. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Spotify or Patreon, both of which will provide you with an RSS feed to use in your podcast app. Now, on Patreon, you also get bonus content, including bonus episodes, access to our Discord server, blooper reels, and more. It's only $2 a month to subscribe on Spotify or Patreon, and you could do so by visiting dynamicduel.com slash subscribe, which is linked in our show notes. We want to give a special shout out to one of our patrons, Tyson Lee, who had a birthday yesterday. Happy birthday! Happy birthday, Tyson. If I were to give you a gift, I would give you Spider-Man Spidey Sense. Well, I would give Tyson... The Batcave, like the whole thing, <laughs> just for him to, to mess around it. Hmm, that's pretty cool, too. Heck yeah, dude. Way better than Spidey Sense. Yeah, sure, until you need it. <laughs> but with that out of the way, quick to the no prize. The no prize is an award Marvel used to give out up until the 90s to fans. Our version, the Dynamic Duel No Prize, is a digital award we post on social media that Jonathan draws for those who we feel gave the best answer to our question of the week. Last week's question tied into the first trailer drop for the animated DC film Injustice, which of course was inspired by the video game of the same name. So we asked, what Marvel or DC video game story would you like to see be adapted into a movie and why? We got a lot of great answers for this one. It was actually really hard to pick the honorable mentions and the winner. Well, let's go ahead and run down them. Our first honorable mention goes to Ken Johnson, who said, Hey guys, it's Ken. So instead of being like everyone else saying Arkham Asylum, I think I would like to see Arkham City. Uh, I think it'll be the closest we are ever going to get to No Man's Land. Uh, not to mention you still have all the rogues gallery and a pretty awesome story. 
Thanks. Now, actually, not too many people answered Arkham Asylum. I, I think Harrison Fox did. That is a great answer, but I think I agree in that I would prefer to see an Arkham City movie. Yeah, Arkham City had a great rogues gallery, of course, with Joker being the main focus. And I think that was a huge perk to the story. Also, yeah, No Man's Land is a great storyline from the comic, and I thought Arkham City did a great job adapting that. Sort of, you know, like keeping the whole world of the game contained to this one area of Gotham City. I love that game, and I think it would make a fantastic movie. Yeah, I never played it, but I have seen you play it, and it looked like a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, super fun. Our next honorable mention goes to Shane Habizen, who said, What's up, Johnny and Joe? What game I would like to see is Deadpool. The game. Yes, they made a game about Deadpool. Who doesn't want to see Mr. Sinister get DJ'd to death? Or at least one of his clones. So I think that would be a pretty good game to see as a movie. I feel like that was a spoiler. (laughs) I never played the Deadpool game uh, because I didn't have a PlayStation or Xbox at the time that it came out. But I know that it's highly regarded among Deadpool fans, I believe. It looks really good. I think it did actually play a minor role in getting the Deadpool movie greenlit because it really provided the Merc with the Mouth the most exposure that he had up until that point. The game just looked hilarious. Like, I don't know if the gameplay was any good, but at the very least, it had a lot of humor going for it. I do have my hands on an Xbox and a PlayStation now, so I may have to go back and revisit this game if I get around to it. Our final honorable mention goes to Miggy Matangian, who said, Hey guys, this is Miggy. And I don't play a lot of video games in general, but back in the Philippines when I was a kid, I loved playing Justice League Heroes The Flash on my Game Boy, and I would love to see that be adapted into an animated movie. In it, Wally helps investigate and stop Brainiac from destroying Metropolis, and along the way, he fights Grodd, Killer Frost, Cersei, and Zoom. Now, Jonathan, you played Justice League Heroes. Oh, yeah, yeah, and I never played Justice League Heroes Flash, but I had the main game for the PlayStation back when it was out. I loved that game. It was essentially like X-Men Legends, but with the Justice League. It was so cool. And the storyline was not bad either. I think it was an original story by Dwayne McDuffie. It was essentially the Justice League going up against Brainiac. But you got to face off against a whole bunch of different classic DC villains along the way. Was the Flash in that main game? Yeah, he was. Okay, so he had his own spinoff game too. Yeah, I think it was for like the Game Boy Advance or something like that, yeah. This sounds pretty cool. The Flash as a video game character has always intrigued me because his power is super speed. So how is the gameplay? Is it like a racing game where you just like control your way through the streets as you run? It's a fascinating concept. It was a side scroller. I think it was more like Sonic the Hedgehog. Okay. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I really like that. I heard it was a fun game. So yeah, thanks, Miggy, for your answer. And thanks to everyone who answered, including JR, Michael Haggerty, and Harrison Fox. We appreciate you guys taking the time out of your day to visit our website and hit that red record button and leave us an answer. But the winner of this week's No Prize goes to Michael Harold, who said... Hey guys, it's uh, Michael Harold. <clears throat> so I think the game that they should make into a live-action movie would be the fan-made uh, online game for Marvel vs. DC. That You don't even need really a storyline for that. Just have Batman and Captain America fighting and all those guys and be the biggest movie of all time, probably. Now, I think this is in reference to the online video game Mugen. Mugen? Mugen? Yeah. Mugen. Something like that. Basically, it takes character sprites from other video games and formed a fighting game out of them. I've never really been good at the Capcom games, so I never really checked it out. But it is available for those that seek it out. You know, it's not an official game. It's kind of like a pirated thing. And I think it has a lot of bugs in it. But that being said, it's probably the closest thing that we have to a Marvel vs. DC video game. Yeah, next to like Fortnite or something like that. Yeah, but that's with the guns and stuff. Those are just skins. Yeah, with Mugen, you actually get to play as the characters and like use their powers, just like a Street Fighter Capcom game. I haven't played the video game, but I've definitely YouTubed the shit out of it. (laughs) It is really cool. And I think that's the video game he's talking about. If he's not, then I need to research the shit out of this because I've been dying for a Marvel vs. DC video game since I was a kid. But a movie based on it, yeah, you don't even need much story. We're just there to see the fights. Right? We just want to see the fights. Just have it start with Batman versus Captain America, and then just play out with other matches throughout the whole movie. That's all we want to see. Yeah, just every single duel that we've ever done on this show played out exactly how we described it. That's all we want in a movie. <laughs> Is it too much to ask? <laughs> uh, but that would be just mind-blowing. A Marvel vs. DC anything, video game or movie. I would just be all about that. So thank you very much, Michael Harold, for your answer. You win this week's No Prize. 
If you, the listener, want a shot at winning your own no prize, stay tuned to later on this episode when we'll be asking another question of the week. And now that that's done, on to the news! Alright, this past week we got our first look at the Hawkeye television series that's going to be debuting on Disney Plus later this year. Now I knew the show was going to come out during the holidays, but what I did not know was that it was going to be a holiday show which I think was the biggest surprise of this trailer, and I'm all here for it. Oh yeah, it looks like it's going to be really fun. I'm already in the holiday spirit. Like, the song that plays with the trailer is It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year, and I have had that going in my head nonstop on repeat ever since last week. It is the most wonderful time of the year, and I love that they're setting it during the Christmas season. Yeah, it's amazing at how well Marvel is at keeping things fresh. You know, like Shang-Chi was a huge breath of fresh air, and it looks like they're just keeping that going with a kind of Christmas special. I never thought that I would look forward to a Hawkeye project. Like, to how me, dare he's you? a pretty boring character. No way! Yeah, but this looks like it's going to be really good. Like, definitely a contender for the Arrow TV show, which was good in the first few seasons, you know? Yeah, yeah, everything about it looks great. From the premise, Haley Steinfeld looks like she's going to be awesome as Kate Bishop. There's so much humor here. Looks like there's going to be great action. And of course, all the warm feels you get from shows and movies set during this time of the year. Yeah, it looks like uh, Hawkeye's like past as Ronin, which we got to see briefly during Avengers Endgame, is catching up with him. Yeah, it's coming back to haunt him when we see Kate Bishop, who apparently idolizes Clint Barton, suit up as Ronin, kind of take on that mantle, and stir up some of the drama that he caused back when he was fighting crime under that moniker when half the world was blipped away. That's a great setup. Of, Of course, before that, we get some interesting moments with his family. You know, he's definitely making up for the lost time after the Thanos incident. It looks like they're checking out a Broadway show, which is Rogers the Musical. Yeah, that's hilarious. Looks so good. It's basically the story of Steve Rogers, which I would love to see a stage adaptation of that. Even if it was a musical, I'd still watch the hell out of that. Kind of makes me wish I had gone to see the Spider-Man turn off the dark Wasn't musical. Wasn't that horrible, though? I don't give a shit. I would still go <laughs> see it. It looks like it had amazing effects to it. Although horrible costume design. Anyway... They go see the show. He sends his family away and confronts the new Ronin, who turns out to be Kate Bishop. She claims to be the world's greatest archer. I love that moment where she's like, yeah, some people call me that. And he's like, are you one of those people? And she's like, yeah. 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 (laughs) I love that. (laughs) There are a lot of great elements here from the Matt Fraction run in the comics. I love that he was wearing a hearing aid. That's right. Yeah. If you guys don't know, Hawkeye is deaf in the comics. And that's something that's never really been explored in the movies. No, but it definitely adds a lot of character depth to him and how he copes with that. And you could actually learn more about that in our Hawkeye versus Green Arrow dual episode. I love the kind of like, I'll be home for Christmas yeah. setup that they have here too. Just all play so well together. He's trying to get back to his family before the holidays, but he's got to take care of the tracksuit mafia, it looks like, from the Fraction run. They throw in this Molotov cocktail into his hideout building. Like a badass, he catches it and then hurls it back at them. Well, not only that, he like punches the window out before it smashes through it. Yeah. It was so cool. That was badass. I have a feeling we're going to see a lot of badass moments from Hawkeye it's in the show. It's about time. Like, right? I, f- I feel like we haven't gotten any truly great ones ever since the first Avengers movie when he was doing all those no-look shots and stuff, you know? I love the moment in the trailer where Kate Bishop comes like crashing through the window and you know, she's still a hero in training after all. Uh, and she like lands on the ground and she's like, Oh, on her side. Yeah. That was, that was funny. That was hilarious. Just not something that you're used to seeing from heroes, but hopefully like after this, you know, her arc sets her up as an established hero so that she could join young Avengers if they're setting up that project, which I hope they are. We do get a brief look at Vera Farmiga in this trailer for this series. Many people are speculating that she'll be playing Madam Mask who is a prominent villain for both versions of Hawkeye. We also get our first look at Lucky the Pizza Dog, who's in this show, also missing his left eye, just like in the comic book series. No idea who that is. He's a dog that Hawkeye ends up adopting. There's a weird moment in the trailer where it looks like he's LARPing with some other people in a park. That's what I was thinking, yeah. They all have, like, swords and shields, and he's, like, swinging a sword at them, but it looks like he's having a good time, you know? That's cool. I've always wanted to LARP. As long as you do it, you know, behind closed doors with the door locked, you're fine. (laughs) We, we also get a brief look in this trailer at Maya Lopez, who's Echo in the comics and also assumes the identity of Ronan. Oh, that's cool. I didn't even see that. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's just a brief shot of her face, but she's also a deaf hero slash occasional villain. It looks like there's going to be a great chase scene in this where like Hawkeye's like handing Kate Bishop random arrows for her to shoot out the car, and she fires one of his explosive arrows out there. Great comedic moment. 
there's just so much that I'm looking forward to from this series. I think it definitely has potential to be one of the better series that Marvel has produced thus far. One of the funniest, for sure. Yeah. So the series comes out November 24th. I assume it's going to be six episodes long, so we'll be reviewing it at the very end of this year or at the start of the new year. Really looking forward to it, especially the holiday tie-in. And that brings us to our question of the week. What's your favorite holiday, and how would your favorite superhero celebrate it? Record your answer at dynamicduel.com by clicking on the red microphone button in the bottom right-hand corner, which will prompt you to leave us a voicemail. Your message could be up to 30 seconds long, and don't forget to leave your name in case we include you on the podcast. We'll pick our favorite answer and draw that person a Dynamic Duel no prize that we'll post to social media. Be sure to answer before September 25th. Moving on to DC News... The Penguin is apparently getting his own series at HBO Max. It'll be a spinoff from the Batman movie directed by Matt Reeves, who's also producing the show. Yeah, I think this is great news, not only because Colin Farrell is playing the Penguin and I'm a fan of that actor, but also reports have been saying that the Penguin is actually not going to have a huge role within Matt Reeves, the Batman film. Yeah. So this will be the character's time to shine. Yeah, we're not sure if this show is going to be a prequel or a sequel, but apparently in the Batman movie, the Penguin is not quite the criminal kingpin that he is in the comics yet. So I'm thinking that the show will probably be a sequel that kind of shows his rise to power as being the head of Gotham's black market and criminal underworld. Yeah, if you guys aren't fans of the Penguin or if you don't know much about him, definitely check out our Penguin versus Kingpin duel episode. I thought that was a pretty good one. Now, we know that Colin Farrell wears a fat suit in the movie. He's unrecognizable in the role, even to people on set during filming. It looks like he's going to do a fantastic job in the role, so it's pretty exciting to hear that the studio and Matt Reeves and Colin Farrell all want to tackle the character in another large project. Is this going to be the new norm where DC films now all have spinoff television shows? Yeah, I think so. It's starting with the Suicide Squad with the Peacemaker show, and of course the next DC film after that will be the Batman I think that's essentially their plan is to kind of like Marvel really expand the universe of the stories that they're telling through these TV shows. This, of course, being the second one that's been confirmed as a spinoff series for the Batman. The first one being the one that's going to be focused on Gotham City Police Department. I almost think that could be one show. I don't know why they need two spinoff shows. Well, the Penguin show is being described as a Scarface-like series about the rise of the Penguin character. So I think there's enough story there with the miniseries to explore outside of the GCPD miniseries they're supposed to do. And that's supposed to be a prequel anyway. Okay. So it looks like Lauren LaFranc is going to be the showrunner for the series. She also worked on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I guess. Which season? Oh, I have no idea. Because seasons one through four of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. were solid. After that, it kind of went downhill. I have no idea, but with Matt Reeves as a producer, I don't think it's going to, you know, steer too far away from his vision. The series is still in early development, so we don't have a release date yet, but I imagine it'll come out late next year after we've already seen the Batman. So it'll be nice to get more of that. Yeah, we'll definitely be reviewing it on this show. But that does it for the news for this episode. And speaking of Batman projects, I hope everyone had a fun and safe Batman day this past Saturday celebrating the Dark Knight. I personally celebrated by watching the first two Burton Batman films with my family. They're so good. And I celebrated Batman Day by not calling Batman overrated for once in my life. No matter how you celebrated the world's greatest dark detective, the party doesn't have to stop there. You can keep representing Batman any day of the year, especially by wearing some sleek Batman fashion gear from Cufflinks.com, who's sponsoring this episode. They offer only the finest Batman accessories for men, including cufflinks, ties, tie clips, money clips, pocket squares, and more. And we held a contest giving away a Batman medallion symbol charcoal silk men's tie to one lucky participant who shared their favorite Batman accessory on Twitter and tagged us. We randomly selected one winner, who is Michael Haggerty. Congrats. Congrats. We'll be sending you the tie this week and hope you have a good time being the most stylish Batman fan in the world. To everyone else who participated, no worries. You still get 15% off any order from now until the end of September when you use the code DUEL. That's D-U-E-L at checkout at cufflinks.com. They say dress for the job you want, then dress as a superhero. Big thanks to cufflinks.com for partnering with us for Batman Day. Be sure to check out their site, guys. Yeah, that's cufflinks.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But now let's go ahead and get into the main event of this episode where we find out who would win in a fight between the DC Comics character, Firestorm, the Nuclear Man, against Marvel's Eternals character, Cersei. Alright, Firestorm versus Cersei. We knew we wanted to do an Eternals battle leading up to the Eternals film, We have a series of reviews to get through before we get to that film review. So we thought now would be a good time to do a dual related episode. Yeah, the Eternals movie comes out when a whole bunch of Marvel and DC media comes out. So it's kind of sandwiched. It'll be hard to squeeze in a duel around that time. So we're doing one now. And we knew that since Cersei was labeled as the protagonist, we wanted to do a matchup against her. And it wasn't hard figuring out who she would go up against considering her power set. Yeah, her primary power is to transmute matter as is the character of Firestorm, who I've mentioned earlier is a favorite of mine. He just has a really cool look, really cool power set. This is going to be fun. If you've never listened to one of our dual episodes before, the way we determine a winner between these two characters is by running 1,000 Monte Carlo simulations using their statistics. Now, a Monte Carlo simulation is a probabilistic model used to determine outcomes through random sampling. In our case, it randomizes statistics along a normal distribution, which is a bell curve, as a way to simulate the many variables that can occur during battle. The stat parameters we use are based on the official Marvel Power Grid, and we use that criteria to extrapolate the DC character's stats. We've included some additional stat categories of our own, such as range, damage potential, versatility, and perception, in order to create a more complete and robust simulation. Running those 1,000 simulations gives us a percentage of wins for each character, and we declare the one with the higher percentage to be the ultimate victor, considering that they're more likely to win any given battle. No character ever wins 100% of the time. Comics have shown that there's always a way for Batman to defeat Superman, so we feel our method falls in line with the precedents that have been established in the comic book stories. And we use this method because it was the least subjective, most unbiased way to determine who would win. Of course, we are both heavily biased toward our respective allegiances, and instead of debating these matches forever, we just let the math decide for us. So there's no fan votes here, no relying on just feats. Before we run the simulations, though, we like to break down each character's histories and abilities before improvising a scenario on how we imagine one of the 1,000 simulations we run would play out beat for beat. And I think it's my turn to go first with the Marvel character's backstory. So let me go ahead and tell you guys all about the character of Cersei, the Eternal. To know a member of the Eternals is to first know some ancient Marvel history. About one million years ago on Earth, three powerful, mysterious cosmic beings known as Celestials experimented on the Homo erectus species to discover their evolutionary potential. Their visit was known as the First Host. One celestial named the Tester evolved a group of subjects into genetically unstable, demon-like beings called Deviants. Another celestial, the Calculator, got a different result. He evolved a group of Homo erectus into immortal, angel-like beings that became known as Eternals. The third celestial, the Prober, took the final test group and, instead of evolving them, implanted the genetic potential for powerful mutations that would unlock as humanity evolved on its own. Was it through the anus? Because he's the prober. Yeah, yep. Okay. Yep. You got it. You nailed it. I figured. Do you feel better about yourself? I do. (laughs) (laughs) Can I continue? Yes. (laughs) Once the experiments were over, the Celestials left, planning to return millennia later to see the results of their experimentation on the planet. Meanwhile, 
The Eternals made it their mission to protect early humankind from the Deviants, who tortured and persecuted early men. The Eternals fought and drove the Deviants underground, then left Earth to explore the cosmos, eventually settling on one of Saturn's moons called Titan. However, a small sect of Eternals stayed on Earth to fight the Deviants should they ever threaten humanity again. Circe was part of the fourth generation of these Earthbound Eternals, born in ancient Olympia, Greece, to Helios and Percy. She differed from many of her eternal relatives in her curiosity of humans and desire to live among them instead of living in secret and seclusion. Hedonistic and a lover of the arts, Circe met Homer, the Greek writer, on her home island in the Aegean Sea. She helped inspire part of his epic story, The Odyssey, which recounted her transformation of Odysseus's crewmen into pigs for bothering her. Later, Circe lived in Camelot during the times of King Arthur, where she helped fight the enemies of the Round Table alongside the medieval sorcerer Merlin. She collaborated with the great Renaissance artists in Florence and Rome, and was active in the French Revolution. Throughout history, Circe was a warrior, lover, benefactor, performer, and adventurer, embracing humanity in a way none of the other Eternals ever did. In the modern day, Circe was living in New York when a full-scale deviant attack threatened the city. She helped Icarus and other fellow Eternals fend off the assault, which ended in a truce between the long-warring species and the revelation of the Eternals' existence to the world at large. Basking in the newfound attention, Circe held parties as a Manhattan socialite, inviting celebrities and other influential people. She was introduced to several Avengers during one such party, becoming friends with the Wasp, She-Hulk, and the Eternal from Titan, Star Fox. When she assisted Captain America in one of his adventures in exchange for a date, he formally asked her to join the Avengers, and she accepted. Circe assisted the team in ending the Kree-Skrull War and defeating Nebula, Blastar, and even the Deviants themselves. During her adventures as an Avenger, she fell in love with fellow teammate Dane Whitman, a hero known as the Black Knight. However, a romantic love triangle soon complicated matters when the inhuman princess Crystal joined the Avengers and also showed interest in the Black Knight. Fueled with jealous rage, Circe attacked her teammates, and she was taken away by the Eternals Icarus and Sprite to Olympia, the Eternals' capital on Earth. They feared she had a mental illness exclusive to Eternals called Mod Weary, a breakdown of the mind caused by their extended lifetimes. The standard cure was death, though a Ganjosen mental link could alleviate it, which was the intimate joining of two minds as soulmates for eternity. To save Circe, Icarus used his mental abilities to establish the link between her and the Black Knight. Together, the two battled and defeated an evil version of Black Knight from an alternate reality, then journeyed themselves to another dimension to be alone together. However, Circe and her lover found themselves embroiled in a conflict between Loki and the Grandmaster over the Infinity Stones. When the pair returned to the main Marvel Universe, they discovered that many of their old allies had seemingly perished in the battle against the evil psychic entity Onslaught, which you can learn more about in our Titans vs. X-Men duel episode. They joined the Heroes for Hire team alongside Iron Fist and Luke Cage. At this point, Cersei and Black Knight decided they needed some time apart after all they had been through. After the Superhuman Civil War event, the forever young Eternal named Sprite attempted to rewrite reality to become human and age normally. Cersei found herself living in New York as a party planner with no knowledge of her Eternal heritage or powers. As her fellow Eternals slowly regained their memories, they tried to convince Cersei of who she was, but she was frightened by the tales of her past and wished to live a normal life instead. She began rediscovering herself and her powers though, and eventually rejoined the Eternals at Olympia with her memories restored. Later, the final host of the Celestials, the Dark Celestials, came to Earth to destroy it. The Dark Celestials were entities that were infected and mutated by a cosmic disease known as the Horde. The Eternals learned then that the first host created them all those millennia ago to tend and cultivate humanity to prepare them to fight the oncoming Dark Celestials. Driven mad by the revelation that they weren't divine protectors, but rather a metaphorical lid on a petri dish, the Eternals, including Circe, committed mass suicide. What? The combined might of Earth's heroes ended up defeating the Dark Celestials, 
proving the first host right. And eventually, the Eternals were brought back to life by celestial resurrection machines, reborn into a world where they no longer had a purpose. Why the hell would they commit suicide? Uh, I think it was mainly a pride thing. They saw themselves and their purpose as being one thing when in reality, it was something far lesser. Basically, they just existed to prop humanity up on their shoulders, almost serving more as servants than as deities that they were worshipped as. I can't wait for the end of the Eternals movie when all of them commit suicide. It's going to be the feel-good film of the year. I don't think that's going to happen, but who knows. After being brought back to life, Thanos hunted down Cersei and the other Eternals, believing that only death should be eternal. Together, the Eternals teamed up and stopped his agenda. And that's Cersei's backstory. Powers-wise, Cersei has the same power set as all Eternal beings. That is, immortality and near invulnerability, flight, increased strength, increased speed, regenerative healing, telepathy, telekinesis, cosmic energy projection, teleportation, illusion casting, and matter transmutation. Out of these powers, all Eternals can choose to hone their skills in a particular ability. Cersei is 5th level adept at transmuting matter and is the most skilled of all Eternals in that power. So while she can only fly at sonic speeds and is comparatively slower than the Eternal Makari, and can only lift 20 tons and is relatively weaker than Icarus, Cersei has the unparalleled ability to transform both organic and inorganic matter into anything she wishes down to the atomic level. This includes creating creatures out of thin air, disguising her own form as someone else, or transforming an enemy into stone. Or a pig. Or a pig even, yeah. Like she did in mythology. I knew the Eternals had a lot of powers. I forgot it was that many though. Yeah, they have like all the powers, right? That's ridiculous. But they all specialize in one thing or another. Like Icarus, he specializes in strength and cosmic energy projection. Mercari specializes in speed. Sprite in illusion casting. Druig in telepathy. Things like that. And it sounds like there's different levels of skill when right. it comes to each of these powers. You said she's a fifth level at transmutation. Right. Well, I mean, that's impressive. Firestorm, also impressive. Let me get into his backstory. Ronnie Raymond was a gifted student athlete at Bradley High School and excelled in sports like football and basketball. In an attempt to impress a girl from school named Doreen Day after he was accused of being a dumb jock, Ronnie joined an anti-nuclear activist group that was protesting the activation of a new experimental, fully automated nuclear power facility designed by Nobel Prize winning physicist Dr. Martin Stein. Ronnie joined the activists as they broke into the facility and he tried to stop them as they turned violent, but they trapped him in a room with a knocked out Dr. Stein and a bomb before they fled. The explosion breached the nuclear reactor, creating an atomic blast that fused Ronnie with Dr. Stein's mind in a new being, or matrix, known as Firestorm. Able to instinctively see and rearrange atomic structure, Firestorm was able to seal off the leaks in the facility caused by the explosion before chasing after the activists and bringing them to justice, thanks to the guidance of Dr. Stein within the mind of Ronnie's new superpowered body. After the ordeal, Firestorm was able to separate himself back into Ronnie and Dr. Stein, though Dr. Stein had no recollection of what happened during his time as the hero. Ronnie took to the superhero lifestyle naturally, fusing with Dr. Stein whenever the need arose to battle the likes of Multiplex, The Thinker, and Killer Frost, the latter of whom you can learn more about in our Killer Frost vs. Human Torch episode. While Ronnie benefited from Dr. Stein's guidance and intellect during battles, in his personal life, Dr. Stein was growing increasingly worried about the blackouts he was having, still unable to remember being Firestorm. Ronnie eventually revealed the truth to Dr. Stein, and over time, Dr. Stein was able to retain his memories of being the hero, with he and Ronnie becoming close friends. When Ronnie graduated high school, he attended the University of Pittsburgh, where Dr. Stein taught, in order for them to be in closer proximity more often should they ever need to merge into Firestorm. It wasn't long before Firestorm's superheroics attracted the attention of the Justice League, and he became the youngest member inducted into the team at the time. After several years of being Firestorm, Dr. Stein was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. Wanting to do something meaningful as a superhero before he died, Dr. Stein convinced Ronnie that they should force the US and Soviet Union to give up their stockpiles of nuclear weapons. 
making enemies of both governments, the Soviets unleashed their own nuclear-powered soldier named Fozar, whose real name was Mikhail Arkadin, a metahuman victim of the Chernobyl incident. During a battle between Fozar and Firestorm in the Nevada desert, the US military dropped a nuclear bomb on them in an effort to destroy both. But the massive explosion it caused instead merged Ronnie, Dr. Stein, and Mikhail into a new Firestorm matrix made up of all three, hmm. with Dr. Stein's amnesiac disembodied mind in control of the body at this time. The Russians attempted to create a clone of Firestorm, but accidentally created a soulless fire being with godlike energy power. In order to stop the clone, Firestorm was forced to merge with it, but only Ronnie and Mikhail were able to do so, and Dr. Stein's mind awakened in his formerly comatose body, having no memory prior to the explosion in Nevada. It was revealed during this time that Firestorm was actually meant to be Earth's fire elemental, in the same way that Swamp Thing was the elemental avatar of plant life. You can learn more about that in our Swamp Thing vs. Man Thing episode. Apparently, Maya, the spirit of the Earth, had intended only for Dr. Stein to become the fire elemental, and Ronnie Raymond's presence during the initial transformation had turned what was supposed to be a mystic elemental force into a mere superhero. When an apocalyptic being known as Brimstone threatened to trigger our sun into going supernova, Dr. Stein came up with a plan to put him in full control of the Firestorm Matrix, releasing Roddy and Mikhail from the role. Upon Brimstone's defeat on the surface of the sun, he imploded, creating a black hole that Dr. Stein was forced to travel through in order to seal it from its center so that it wouldn't swallow up the sun. Dr. Stein emerged in a far unknown region of the universe where he would continue to explore as the Fire Elemental. Ronnie lived powerless for many years and eventually contracted leukemia. Dr. Stein returned to Earth briefly to cure Ronnie of his cancer and restore his powers as Firestorm, now an independent entity fully in Ronnie's control. A superhero once again, Ronnie fought alongside super teams such as Extreme Justice, The Power Company, and once again with the Justice League. During an event known as Identity Crisis, Firestorm was impaled by a mystic sword. Since his body was like a living nuclear reactor, the puncture he received caused his body to explode and Ronnie died. The firestorm energy within him bombarded a Detroit teenager known as Jason Rush, who initially struggled to control his firestorm powers and had to merge with random people in order to become the hero. During a mission in space, Jason met Dr. Stein and convinced him to mentor him as he had Ronnie previously. Dr. Stein agreed for a time, though he returned to space when Jason had a better handle on his powers and the science of altering matter. During the Blackest Night event, Ronnie Raymond was resurrected as a Black Lantern and force-merged himself with Jason into the Firestorm Matrix, creating Deathstorm and forcing Jason to kill his own girlfriend. Oh. At the conclusion of the Blackest Night, Ronnie was brought back to life, though he had no memory of his actions since his death. Though Jason blamed Ronnie for his girlfriend's death, the two of them eventually learned to work together as the new Firestorm. In post-Flashpoint continuity, Jason was a brilliant high school protege and a classmate to high school quarterback Ronnie Raymond. Dr. Stein entrusted Jason with a capsule called the Firestorm Protocol containing something known as the God Particle, and when terrorists came for it, Jason activated it at the school with Ronnie nearby and the two became separate Firestorm entities with the ability to transform should the need arise. It turns out, the Firestorm protocol had been utilized by people around the world, resulting in many Firestorms, all of which were captured and killed by the Zither Corporation, save for Ronnie and Jason, who later learned they could merge into one Firestorm being. Now recently, in the Doomsday Clock storyline, Firestorm's original pre-Flashpoint origin returned, and a quote-unquote Superman theory emerged that the US was secretly responsible for creating many accidents that resulted in Americans gaining superpowers as part of a superhuman arms race with other countries. It was revealed that Dr. Martin Stein was a government agent who orchestrated the events that resulted in him and Ronnie becoming Firestorm initially. Now, powers-wise, Firestorm can rearrange subatomic particles and affect molecular structure in order to transform one element into another, though he can typically only affect inorganic matter. 
He can also affect his own matter, altering its density so that he can phase through matter or become superhumanly durable or strong. Like Vision. Yeah, exactly. He can generate and emit nuclear energy in the form of atomic beams or blasts, and he could also absorb or dissipate other various types of energy. He could fly and also has enhanced sight, allowing him to see what's going on around him at the subatomic level. He also has the benefit of two people existing within his mind, allowing another person to guide him through elemental transmutation or focus on one thing, like a bad guy, while he's focusing on another. And that's Firestorm. Now, quite a few people suggested that we pit Firestorm against the Human Torch. Oh, that's, I hate when people suggest that. That's like the worst matchup ever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Firestorm would just extinguish the Human Torch's flame. It would be so easy for him. It doesn't help when shows like The Flash kind of show Firestorm's power as only shooting flames and stuff like that. Yeah. It wasn't until Legends of Tomorrow, I think, when they sort of explored his transmutation powers. Which makes much more sense for a fight with Cersei. Yeah, except Cersei's not a nuclear reactor like Firestorm is. She deals with cosmic power. Firestorm deals with fucking nuclear atomic energy. And as we all know, cosmic is greater than nuclear. Do we know that? Yes. What power is the sun? <laughs> cosmic energy? Nope. What the fuck is cosmic energy? Well, Firestorm's about to find out real quick. Okay. Because now that we've got their histories and abilities out of the way, we're going to speculate on how one of the 1,000 simulated matches we run will go. The winner is determined by simulations, not this speculation, but it's fun to imagine how the fight could play out. We don't set any rules for this match other than the characters don't know anything about each other going in, except that the other character is a threat that needs to be put down. And we say that they start off about 50 meters apart in an environment that has no bearing on the match itself because we don't take stats for the environment. Plus, certain characters have advantages in some environments over others, and we want these characters to win on their own merit. So let's get into it. Firestorm and Cersei meet on the battlefield. Who goes first? I think Cersei's going to start off first, just because, you know, Firestorm has too many minds in his head, you know, just trying to figure out what to do first. So she's oh. of one mind. She's going to be more decisive. She's going to act first by turning the air around Firestorm's hands into vibranium handcuffs. Vibranium? Yeah. And she's going to be like, hmm, if we were trying to kill each other, those handcuffs could be pretty fun. But uh, the fuck? Yeah, she's kind of, you know, debaucherous weird i mean firestorm he, he's just gonna take a look at these handcuffs and he, he's gonna analyze the molecular structure of vibranium you just gave him the atomic recipe for vibranium essentially oh shit which he'll be using to his advantage he's gonna molecularly break up these cuffs and then turn them into like vibranium missiles that shoot towards cersei and explode like mini nuclear bombs oh, that's pretty good but cersei sees these nuclear missiles flying at her and she's going to transform them into these like flying serpents, like dragons that turn what? around and breathe these atomic flames that just engulf Firestorm and turn them into radioactive ash. And Firestorm is screwed because he can't affect these dragons because the dragons are organic matter. Let me get this straight. You think you could hurt Firestorm, the nuclear man, whose head is literally nuclear flame <laughs> with flame? but it's like dragon flame. Okay, all right. <laughs> so Firestorm, he's just gonna absorb that atomic flame and he's gonna fire it right back at the dragons and Cersei, just melting everything and everyone with these fiery beams, including Cersei. No, Cersei's not gonna melt. She's invulnerable, you know, she's an eternal. Ugh. So yeah, she's like impacted by the radioactive heat, but she's just gonna create a giant lead shield in front of her that like protects her from this radioactivity. And she's gonna like telekinetically shove this lead shield, launching it forward and bashing it right into Firestorm. Okay, but surprise, Firestorm is just gonna turn his body intangible and fly right through that shield. Just like full uh. speed right at Cersei and just slams into her fists first. Fuck, Firestorm can do too many things. <laughs> he is the coolest. <laughs> okay, so Cersei, you know, she gets knocked into, she falls back onto the ground. And from the ground, she's gonna shoot out these powerful concussive eye beams right at Firestorm. Okay, so Firestorm, he gets hit, but he's gonna react by creating this giant mirror in front of him that's just gonna reflect her energy beams right back at her. And Cersei's gonna be like, ooh, look, my reflection. Oh, wait, oh no. <laughs> so she sees her energy beams coming back at her. Uh, she's gonna teleport out of the way. You say Firestorm does too many things. <laughs> and she's gonna pop up right behind Firestorm and she's gonna telepathically scan his mind, read his thoughts to learn more about him. You can't do that with Firestorm. 
Sure you can. She's gonna be like way too confused by like the Firestorm mind matrix. You know, she's gonna be hearing like a voice warning Firestorm that she's <laughs> in their head. <laughs> You know, and so he's gonna respond by creating a giant baseball bat that he just swings behind him, knocking her away. Wait, Smack! You think home run? A wooden baseball bat is gonna do shit to an eternal? Like it's a big bat. That thing freaking like shatters across her into toothpicks and like does nothing. And she's gonna turn each one of these splinters into a rose. And now that she's scanned his mind, she knows that Firestorm can't affect organic matter. So she turns these roses that she created into this giant ass rose bush with huge massive thorns that wrap around Firestorm and prick him and they're poisonous thorns. So he's poisoned now by this gargantuan rose bush. All right, so Firestorm is trapped in this giant bush. He's gonna detonate the arrow around him in this massive explosion that just ignites the entire bush and blasts Cersei backward, all right? And he's gonna transmute the poison in his body into water, so it's harmless. All right, well, while Firestorm's busy detoxing, Cersei's just gonna fly at him at super speed and give him the most epic eternal bitch slap that has ever happened in history, just <laughs> knocking him unconscious. Okay, so Firestorm, he falls to the ground, but he's gonna regain consciousness quickly because he's just gonna have this voice screaming in his head to wake up. Yeah, he wakes up and sees Cersei stomping him beneath her thigh-high boots like a little worm. In fact, she is stomping his little worm. The fuck? Before she could do that though, Firestorm's gonna cause this vibranium cage to like come up out of the ground like a mini prison cell that's just gonna trap Cersei, all right? And then he's gonna turn the air within the cell into like this radioactive gas that she inhales and just causes her to die instantly. Okay, so she breathes in this radioactive gas and dies. Big deal. Oh gosh, <laughs> I see what's coming. Except Cersei knew that if she got close, he would spring a trap like that. So what happened was that Firestorm just merely imprisoned an illusion. The real Cersei uncloaks herself from behind Firestorm and transforms his entire body into a pile of pig shit. What? Like the shit emoji. What? Yep. Just skipped the pig. Went straight to the yep. pig shit. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> okay. But I mean, Firestorm sees matter at the atomic level. He's gonna see right through this illusion because he's gonna see that it's not made up of, of atoms and molecules, all right? So actually, he did trap the real Cersei. No, 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 no. Because Cersei telepathically deceived both minds into believing the illusion. So he's just, you know, a fiery hot pig shit pile. Except that this was the three mind version of Firestorm. What? And he wasn't <laughs> deceived. No, <laughs> wasn't. <laughs> This, why not? I guess we should have said from the get-go, what version of Firestorm is this? The three-mind one. No, no, no. You were going with the two-mind the entire time. You don't know. All right. Well, we can leave it at that. Either Cersei inhales radioactive gas, or Firestorm is pig shit. Let's go ahead and find out which scenario happened when we run these characters' statistics in 1,000 simulations. We'll be right back, guys, with the winner. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I feel like speculating on scenarios where the characters can do almost anything. It's just so hard because you're like paralyzed by indecision. Both of these guys can do so much. Well, it's kind of like just a back and forth tit for tat kind of thing. It's like she creates a rock. So he creates paper. She creates scissors. <laughs> so he creates a rock. That yeah. kind of thing, you know? Yeah, exactly. It could almost go on forever. Right. And their statistics kind of went back and forth in much the same way. They're very comparable, uncomfortably so, because I thought that Cersei was going to have this one in the bag with her greater physicals. And yeah, Cersei is definitely more durable and stronger than Firestorm. Uh, you know, he's still able to lift a lot because he can negate the density of objects he's carrying. Right. But her strength is also represented in her physical blows. Like, he can't punch harder than she can. Exactly. So she's still much stronger. But Firestorm, the nuclear man, is like literally a nuclear bomb. He can destroy an entire city with one go. 
we determine that he has much higher damage potential than she does. Just barely, though, because she's powerful in her own right. Yeah. Also, Firestorm frequently goes intangible. And he could create shields and stuff like that. So the guy's pretty evasive. I mean, she could create shields, too, and she can teleport and everything like that. But it's rare that she alters her own density. We said they were about the same when it came to range, perception, versatility. These guys are maxed out on versatility. Yeah, they could literally create anything. But the perception thing was interesting because whereas Firestorm can see at the subatomic level, it has, you know, an extra set of eyes, essentially. Cersei's a mind reader. Yeah, her telepathic skills are limited in that she can only communicate telepathically. She can't, like, mind control anyone. I mean, she can kind of, like, Jedi mind trick people, but, you know, Firestorm's no weak mind. In fact... We said that he was slightly more intelligent because of the Martin Stein persona within the Firestorm Matrix. Yeah, Martin Stein is a Nobel Prize winning physicist. He's one of the best scientific minds in the world. Whereas Cersei drinks a lot of wine. <laughs> there you go. No, she's smart too. We just said she wasn't as, you know, scientifically gifted. So considering all those stats, who do you think is going to get the W here? I think it's going to be really close. I'm hoping Firestorm edges out on top though. I actually think it will be closer than what our Instagram followers predicted. 63% of them voted for Firestorm. 63% is way too high. Like, we have a lot of uninformed DC fans out there, is what I'm thinking. Firestorm is just a popular character. He's, he's a really cool character. No one knows who the hell Cersei is. Well, they do now, and she's definitely going to rise in popularity uh, in a few months when the Eternals movie comes out. It would be interesting to see how the poll would change if we conducted it after the movie. We'll probably have to get in another Eternals duel later on this year or early next year. But let's check out the results of this match. The winner between Firestorm and Cersei is... Cersei, Fuck. the Eternal. But it was insanely close. Like, I'm actually not pleased with how close this matchup was. Because Cersei's like at demigod level. But I guess so is Firestorm. Because the final results were 519 to 481. That's 51.9% to 48.1%. Firestorm has always been a really powerful character. I'm not surprised that it was really close. Yeah, in the end, it was almost a coin toss with Cersei edging out just barely because of her eternal physiology. You can't match that durability. Yeah, yeah, Firestorm couldn't. And going into this match, that was definitely the number one thing I was most afraid of. I was most afraid of like Firestorm's like processing ability. The fact that it was, you know, multiple minds. I didn't know how that would factor into the battle. But in the end, Cersei gets the W here. It looks like Firestorm really is a pile of pig shit. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, well, from the sound of it, Cersei's a whore. <laughs> she gets around, but, you know, she owns it. It's who she is. Own that shit, girl. Own that shit. <laughs> but I think that does it for this duel. Let us know what you think about Cersei getting the win by writing to us at dynamicduelpodcast at gmail.com or by visiting us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can find links to all of our accounts by checking out our show notes or visiting our website, dynamicduel.com. Don't forget, guys, to visit cufflinks.com as well, where until the end of the month, you'll get 15% off any order when you use the code DUEL. That's D-U-E-L at checkout. Yeah, guys, seriously, they have so much cool stuff there. If you haven't been to that website, uh, you're just going to be blown away by not only the Marvel and DC fashion accessories they have, but like Star Wars, NFL, Harry Potter, the works. They have everything. It's awesome. Next week's episode will be another duel. It's going to lead into the Venom Let There Be Carnage movie, and we're going to pit Carnage against Lobo. Both of these characters are sadistic psychopaths. They're both regenerative. They're both super strong. It's going to be one violent, bloody duel. It's going to be Carnage. <laughs> the Lobo vs. Carnage, Let There Be Carnage is going to be the name of our next episode. So look forward to that. But that does it for this episode. We want to give a big thanks to our executive producers, John Spees, Ken Johnson, Jace Crump, John Starosky, Zachary Hepburn, John Beccianina, Mitchell Phipps, Stephen Lovato, Dustin Balcom, and Salvador Hernandez Contreras Jr. for helping make this podcast possible. That's a mouthful. It is, but we're really appreciative. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Up, up, and away. True believers.